I'm going to read the lectionary scripture for you, which comes from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. It will be a very familiar passage, um, but it is the passage for this Sunday on this uh, Palm Sunday. Listen and join in reading with me. When they were nearing Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent off two of the disciples with instructions. Go to the village across from you. As soon as you enter, you'll find a colt tethered, one that has never yet been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Say, the master needs him, and we will return him right away. They went and found a colt tied to a door at the street corner, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said, What are you doing untying that colt? The disciples replied exactly as Jesus had instructed them, and the people let them alone. They brought the colt to Jesus, spread their coats on it, and he mounted. The people gave him a wonderful welcome, some throwing their coats on the street, others spreading out rushes they had cut in the fields. Running ahead and following after, they were calling out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Blessed the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. He entered Jerusalem, then he entered the temple. He looked around, taking it all in. But by now it was late. So he went back to Bethany with the twelve. I'm going to talk to you today about the king and his kingdom. It's going to be far different than most messages I preach to you. Because I'm going to start with this thought. I'm going to talk about Jericho. (laughs) Jericho hasn't even been mentioned in the passage this morning. Did you know that Jericho is 846 feet below sea level? Probably doesn't sound like much to be concerned with for you until you hear that Jerusalem is 3,000 feet above sea level. Jesus, earlier in the book of Mark, has left Jericho. He's headed to Jerusalem. You'll begin to get a picture of those two sea levels, Jericho, 846 feet below, Jerusalem, 3,000 feet above. When you consider that Always in the Bible, you hear of people going up to Jerusalem. The reason for that is because Jerusalem truly was always up. Jesus had visited Jericho several times before. It is no surprise that as he is making his trek with his disciples to Jerusalem, that he would travel through Jericho. You've got to understand this geography. You've got to understand that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem. Because it's on this trip, as Jesus is passing through Jericho, that Jesus meets that guy named Zacchaeus. Remember that climbs the sycamore tree? Remember that uh, is inviting Jesus to stay in his house? It's also on this trip, as Jesus exits Jericho, that he finds a blind man named Bartimaeus. He's begging by the side of the road, and he's unable to work. And Jesus meets him on his way out of Jericho. 
As Jesus is on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, he is going to come to this passage where we are now, the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives would have given Jesus and his disciples a beautiful view of Jerusalem. They would have seen it not from above, but from afar. They would have been raised up nearly to the height of Jerusalem, but they would have seen it in the distance. And it is from here that Jesus would begin his entry into Jerusalem. Now, there was really nothing unique about this trip. Several times a year, Jewish festivals would take place and the people would make their trek to Jerusalem. It's the place where God chose to put his name. It's the place where God chose to put his presence. It's the place where sacrifices would be made to assure Israel of God's forgiveness Jerusalem, Jerusalem is the place where the people could know that they could fellowship with God and they would find in Jerusalem their hope for the future with God. And so it was always with joy, with anticipation, and with excitement that the Jewish people would travel to go up to Jerusalem several times a year. Large groups, small groups, families, and clans would make that trip to be where God had called them to be. And this particular trip had its purpose. This was the festival of Passover. This was the festival where they would celebrate their freedom, freedom from the Egyptian rule, when Moses led the children of Israel up out of bondage. And for this group of believers, these disciples of Jesus and Jesus himself, as they make their way to the Mount of Olives, 2,600 feet above sea level, They would have a panoramic view of the city of Jerusalem. As they were going up to Jerusalem, they would feel and know full scale what it meant to be free. Except for one thing. There's something different about this journey. Blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, miraculous things on the way happened. And it seems to be that freedom is no longer what this trip was about. It seems to be that Jesus is becoming a king of sorts. They took out their coats. They threw them on the ground. They gathered up leaves. They waved them. They sang, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They treated him as if he was royalty. Now, church, if you've been with me in a study that I've done on the Sermon on the Mount, many of you are, you know that When I get into the Beatitudes, I talk about them as if they are stair steps. Stair steps up to something. And if you've ever been with me, you know what that Sermon on the Mount's all about. For Matthew, it is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of heaven. And those Beatitudes are stair steps up. Stair steps up. As if we are going up to Jerusalem. But this time they're going up. Not just to Jerusalem, but to a kingdom, to the kingdom of heaven. And so beginning this trip in Jericho, the lowest point on earth that is inhabited by human beings, they traveled up not to celebrate their freedom, but to celebrate something else. In fact, to celebrate someone else. Because every kingdom does have a king. And the king of this kingdom appears to be Jesus And this climb to Jerusalem was not just about freedom. It was about this king. It was about this kingdom. We know this because no one in their right minds would have ever taken their coats off 
and thrown them down on the dirty ground where they were traveling. The dust, the dirt would have been immense. But there's a king in the house. and Nobody waves branches from trees in the wind. Nobody waves them for no apparent reason. You wave it because there's a king in the house. And you certainly do not shout Hosanna to just anyone. You do it because there's a king in the house. As they shouted Hosanna and the highest, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, they knew what they were chanting. They were singing from Psalm 118. Save us, O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord, and we bless you from the house of the Lord. This scene is all about the one who is coming in the name of Yahweh. The one who is coming. They are coming to welcome him. They're welcoming the king to his kingdom. Let me stop for a minute and say to you, appropriate or not, we don't understand kingdoms in our day and age. We understand political things, democracies, republics. We don't understand a kingdom. Our, Our best view these days, unfortunately, is Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, and that doesn't get it. It's not correct. In Jesus' day, they understood. This king, it was someone they were willing to go out of their way to help. They went down into town and got a colt for him to ride on, for crying out loud. This king is someone you're willing to sacrifice for. They threw their coats down in the streets to honor him. This king is someone that you're willing to shout and to sing your praises for. And all of, that, all of that is really lost on us who don't understand kings and kingdoms that much these days. Jesus understood it. Maybe I can help you by sharing, you, sharing with you some of the things that Jesus said about the kingdom of God. In one place, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters his seed on the ground. He sleeps. He rises night and day. The seeds sprout. They grow. He doesn't know how it happens. But first a blade appears, then the full ear, then the full grain in the ear, and then the harvest comes. In another place, Jesus said, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? And he said, it's like a grain of mustard, the tiniest little seed you could ever imagine. But it will grow. It will become larger than all the other trees in the garden if you plant it. He says the kingdom of heaven is like the king who, or the master rather, that wanted to settle accounts with his debtors. And he winds up forgiving them. He said the kingdom of heaven is like someone that's lost one sheep out of a hundred. And he leaves to go and find the one. He said the kingdom of heaven is like the woman who lost her coin. And she swept her house clean to find what she had lost. Mark is telling us, wake up, you do know what the kingdom's about. You do know what the kingdom is like, because you know what the king is like. The king gives sight to blind Bartimaeus. The king gives life to Zacchaeus climbing a tree. And the king is about to give salvation to the world. Oh, as you wave and chant and sing and throw your coats, look out, because what the king is going to do next will be incredible. And I think that's exactly what makes this story so difficult, church. It's what Jesus does next. Listen, if you would. 
Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. They promised to give him money. He sought an opportunity to betray him. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. And they began to go one right after the other. Lord, is it I? Is it I? And he said, It's one of the twelve. It's the one that's dipping their hand into the bread dish with me right now. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after he had blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, he said, take this, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Church, I want to ask you to take out your communion. I want to ask you to take the wafer or whatever it is that you have to represent the bread. I'll give you time to get that out. I know they're not easy to handle. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of him who died for you. And then if you would, open your juice. Take and drink. Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. As often as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of what he has done for us. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it's written, I'll strike the shepherd, the sheep will be scattered. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, that this hour could pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And immediately while he was praying, Judas came. One of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. He said, the one that I kiss is the man. 
Seize him, lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and they seized him. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together a whole battalion of soldiers. They clothed him in a purple cloak. They twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him and they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down and mocking homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped off of him his purple cloak. They put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. And they called upon a passers-by, one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. They crucified him, and they divided his clothing amongst them, casting lots for them to decide what each person would take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were being crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani. This means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. They put it on a reed and they gave it to him to drink. And they said, Wait, let's see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered out a loud cry. And then he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Church, Jesus started his trip in the lowest place on earth that people live, Jericho. He was coming to the highest place in Israel. He was coming to the place of God, to the place where his father resided. He was coming to Jerusalem. And it was one uphill trip as he made that trip. And as they sang that day, 
Glory to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. As they welcomed the king. As they proceeded to throw their coats down. And wave their palm branches. And to sing aloud. You thought that a king was coming to sit upon his throne. But this king was not coming to sit upon a throne. This king traveled his uphill trip. To face a new uphill battle, one that you and I should have fought, but we could not. He was not coming to be seated as royalty. He was coming to be crucified for our sins. And that brings me to my bottom line, which is there's no king without a cross. Thank you, Mark. Church, as we enter into this Holy Week, I want to dismiss you with uh, the knowledge that there is no other king aside from Jesus. And there is no king without a cross. Jesus paid the price, and as we enter into this week, I hope you reflect on that fact. 
but also sing your praises, your glory, your hallelujahs, and your hosannas to the one who is coming, who has fought the uphill battle, who has fought the greatest battle, and who one day will return to take his church home. Jesus, our Messiah.